0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, At Odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, to receive God's mission or to resent it. Well, welcome to Woodside. What a great Sunday to be here and gathered. I want to give you one praise report and one uh, prayer request Uh, First, the praise report is that this Sunday is a great Sunday for our Chesterfield campus. We have been praying that God would send leadership. We've had an open uh, need there for a campus pastor. And today, Pastor Winston Dickerson is being installed at our Chesterfield campus as the new campus pastor there. So God has answered our prayers. Praise God. I promised him his wife, Amanda, and their three beautiful children, Hannah, Charlie, and Milo, that I would ask you to remember them in prayer. Now, again, you may not know them, but that's all right, because we're a spiritual family. We are a family here at Woodside, across 15 campuses, but knit together with one heart to honor God and to love one another well as we seek to reach the world with the gospel. So can you please pray for the Dickerson family this morning? Can you pray that uh, this will be a great season of ministry for Pastor Winston? Can you pray for his wife? to find friendship for his children, to experience community and for the Chesterfield campus that the best days would be ahead. I also wanna give you a prayer request and that is for you, you to continue to pray for our missionary partners around the world. I wanna say thank you for your generosity Last week, as I said before you, it was with the backdrop of all that's happening in Ukraine. The world is watching, and so are we. Our particular concern as we pray was for the believers that are there, those who are shining bright for the gospel in a very difficult and dark moment. And uh, you guys prayed, and across all campuses, I am proud to say that we raised a little bit over $76,000 to help our missionary partners. Thank you for doing that. Those of you who are here in our friends that are online. Many people reached out. There weren't even members of Woodside saying, I want to express my generosity, and I want to help as well. Uh, Our team, led by Pastor Don Anderson, has been on the phone and Zooms with our missionary partners there, Pastor Igor and others, to assess the need. And the needs, as you would imagine, are the basic needs of water and food and shelter, and so we send our first round of funding this week. We have partnered with Send International, their missions agency that has a strong infrastructure to help to guarantee that the resources got to the intended destination safely and on time. Now this week what we're going to do is assess how our missionary partners are doing in Poland and uh, the surrounding areas, Romania, Czech Republic because many of the refugees from Ukraine has had to flee to those countries. I think over 1.3 million so far, and the number continues to increase every day. So we want to support not only those who are in Ukraine, but uh, uh, refugees that are in the surrounding countries as well. Let's continue to pray, because as we just sang, if God can change the heart of Nineveh, how many know that God can change the heart of nations? Today we're going to talk about that and And I praise God that we're seeing that right before our eyes. So please continue to be generous. Know that on the other side of your generosity, lives are being changed and the gospel is being spread. How many thank God for his word? Amen. Well, today we're going to go back into the word of God. You can join me in Jonah chapter 3. I don't know what your favorite TV show is around your house But around the Brooks household, one of our favorite TV shows, in particular among the kids and myself, is a show called Man vs. Wild. Man vs. Wild is hosted by Bear Grylls. How many know that name? Man, what a great name. If ever there was a name that a man should be proud of, it is Bear. I love that name. But uh, he is an outdoor survivalist, for those of you who don't know uh, his, uh, his background. He has a whole franchise of shows where he goes out into the wild, from Arctic tundra to tropical rainforest, and he survives. And he shows us if we were dropped in those places where and how we could survive, I would probably call the nearest Marriott. But that's just me. He takes a different approach. But this particular show, Man vs. Wild, is cool for a number of different reasons, not the least of which that it gives you the ability to be involved. It's bare on its own with a camera crew, navigating through this rough terrain, but at different checkpoints, he turns and looks at the camera, or looking at you, and he says, which choice should I take? Should I eat these berries or not eat these berries? Should I stay here for the night or should I trek forward? Should I swim through this water or take the long way around? And you get to choose an option. Now your option may be good or it may be bad, but here's the really cool part. If you choose the wrong option, you can always hit rewind and go back and choose an alternate ending. How many wish that the world came with a rewind button? And that would be pretty cool. Or how many at least wish that you could have an alternate ending to some of the choices you made in life? Well, very rarely does that come around. But today, that's exactly what we're going to see in the story of Jonah. If you were with us in chapters 1 and 2, you will remember that God spoke to Jonah. As a matter of fact, in chapter 1, verse number 1, uh, we see that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And in verse number two, we hear what God told him to do. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. He was supposed to go and to preach. But you'll remember, because of his disdain and despise for the people of Nineveh, on pretty good grounds, I might say, they were pretty cruel, violent, and vicious people. He didn't want to go. He decided he was going to rebel against God. Because the last thing he wanted was for them to repent at the, at the message and for God to show them mercy and for them to be forgiven. If you ever had an ex, you can relate. If you've ever been hurt by someone, a business partner who cheated you, if you've ever gone through mistreatment or betrayal, you certainly can relate. If you've ever been bullied in life, you certainly can relate. So Jonah decides he's going to go the other way, and man, was that the bad choice. He picked option A, and he decided to go as far away from Nineveh as he could. He gets on the boat, goes to a place called Tarshish, but while he's headed there, a storm comes, sailors have to throw him overboard, he's swallowed by a great fish. I mean, things are going from bad to worse. But in the midst of that moment, while he feels like he's dying in the fish, he repents. He calls out to God. He does what most of us would do. He says to God, God, if you get me out of this one, I promise you, I'll follow you. Anybody ever negotiate with God like that before? God, if you get me out of this one, I promise you, I'll obey And God grants him that. He doesn't have to. He doesn't always do that for us. But in this case, he does. And chapter 3 almost reads like an alternate ending. It's as if God allowed Jonah to hit the rewind button and go back. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 3. It almost reads identically to chapter 1, verse 1. But look at chapter 3. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah The second time, saying, Now, before I say what the word of the Lord was, just think about that. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I wouldn't have to read anything else and I could preach for the next three days. One theologian said that those words in chapter one, verse one, are the most gracious words ever written in human history, a second time. How many here know that we serve the God of a second chance? How many praise God for that? And some of you didn't shout, but maybe this will help you to shout a little bit louder because some of us aren't on our second chance, are we? Some of us are on the third chance or the fourth or the fifth. How many thank God that he's the God of the sixth chance or the seventh chance or the eighth or the ninth or the 10th? If you're anything like me, sometimes you're a slow learner, but praise God, he's a patient, patient and gracious God. Last week, I shared the story of Chuck Colson. For those of you who are under 40, Googling. But Chuck Colson was uh, in prison for his involvement in Watergate during the Nixon administration, that great scandal. He's in prison and God reaches him there. He turns to Christ. And I shared the story of how he went on and started this global ministry called Prison Fellowship. Well, one of their team members heard the message reached out to me, sent me an email and said, it was so encouraging hearing you share the story of Chuck. But they also shared with me that every April around Easter time, they have what they call second chance month. And Second Chance Month is their way of reminding the world that even prisoners, even those who have been previously incarcerated, need a second chance. That just like God has given you and I a second chance spiritually, we should look to show mercy and grace to others. Isn't it interesting how much we love mercy and grace when it comes to us, but how stingy it is, we are when it comes to others? God, I love singing about mercy and grace when I got me in mind. What about when you have your enemy in mind? This is a second chance, and, and it blesses me on two levels. The first level that it blesses me on is that it's a second chance for a preacher. Man, I need that. I relate to all of the Bible, but there are certain passages I relate to more And as a preacher who knows my own humanity, I praise God that God is merciful even to preachers. Jonah was a rebellious preacher who didn't preach the word of God when given the first chance, but God is merciful even to preachers. But I like to put it this way, that if God can save preachers, he can save anybody. This is also a second chance for Nineveh. Let's keep reading verse number two. After the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the second time, the Lord says to him, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Today we're going to look at what repentance looks like, and we're going to see this big idea that God responds to repentance and praise God. But what does repentance look like? Well, we know here that repentance begins with the word, that it starts with the word of God. Now, I love this. There's a lot that I love about this passage, but I love that God says to, to uh, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, but I don't want you to say what you want to say. Only say what I'm going to tell you to say. Again, that tells me a lot about what makes preaching powerful. I don't know who your favorite preachers are. Be nice to them. It's a tough job. But maybe you've picked a great preacher because of their eloquence. Or maybe you have picked a preacher that you like because of their charismatic personality or their presentation style. But I don't want to burst your bubble this morning, but I do want to guard your soul by telling you that what makes preaching great is not the eloquence of the preacher. It's not the personality of the the spokesperson. It certainly is not their presentation style. What makes preaching powerful, what makes it uh, extraordinary, what, what makes it life transforming is the content. It's the very word of God. That's what we should be looking for. And it's not lost on me and hopefully it's not lost on you that we sit this morning in the church and some watching online that has been faithfully dedicated year after year, decade after decade to preaching the word of God. How many praise God for that? You can be assured, you can be assured that when you come into this place, you're not going to get the most, uh, the most catchy cliches, that you're not going to get pop psychology, that you're not going to get the latest in social science, that you're not going to get the latest in prosperity preaching, but you can be sure that like it or not, you're going to get the Word of God. Now, sometimes that means that the Word of God will cause you to be brokenhearted. But if we are brokenhearted and if we are challenged and if we are offended, let it be because of the Word of God. And sometimes that will mean that when you come in here, you will leave comforted. And if we are comforted and if we are encouraged in any way, Let it be because of the word of God. I am duty bound and so are all those who preach in this church to simply declare to you, thus saith the Lord. God was merciful to Nineveh for a number of reasons, but we read twice that it was a great city. Now by great city, certainly he's not talking about their morality. They were a bunch of misfits. They were cruel and evil hearted people. So that's not what makes them great. He's talking about their size. This was a large city. We'll see this again in chapter 4, over 120,000 souls, which was a mega city in that day and age. God was merciful to cities, and I praise God that he is merciful to cities. We live in the metropolitan complex of a city that is large, a global, international city, boasted of nearly 700,000 people. We should thank God that God is merciful to cities. And so he's merciful to Nineveh and it takes three days to walk through it. And it says that Jonah had one sermon. Now you guys would love this sermon. How many love brevity in preaching? How many love that? You don't have to raise your hand, just say amen. I get the point. His sermon had seven words. It was a seven word sermon. Man, what a powerful sermon. 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it, that's the punchline. That's it. No illustration, no ramp up, no heartfelt music, no organist in the background. Just 40 days and none of us shall be overthrown. But when God is in it, it is powerful enough. Jonah, just simply speak what I told you to speak. Because repentance starts with the word of God. It is interesting when you read the story of men like Martin Luther, who says his heart was strangely warmed as he read through Paul's epistle to the Romans. It is interesting when you read about men and women who read the words of scripture and it was scripture itself that convicted their hearts. We need not improve upon it. The word of God in and of itself is powerful enough to save. What is repentance start? It starts with the word because real repentance means to turn to turn from your own way to turn to God's way. Well, how do we turn to God's way if we don't know God's word? I wanna commend to you that if you love anything in this life, if you obsess over anything, if you are a hoarder of anything, let it be the word of God. Let it be your bread in the morning. Let it be your advisor throughout the day. Let it be the last thing you meditate on at night. Write it down, memorize it, feast upon it. It is what is able to build you up and give you eternal life. I have nothing more precious to commend to you than the word of God in the form of Jesus Christ and the word of God written for our own remembrance and repentance. And so Jonah preaches a seven-word story, and he walks a day, gets to a major part of the city, and he preaches. And then he spends the night, wakes up, walks another day, gets to another major part of the city, and he preaches. And he wakes up, and then he walks another day, and he makes sure every major neighborhood hears the message. Forty days and Nineveh will be overturned, and historians tell us. That this was kind of the culmination of a series of famines and uh, military attacks and social unrest that Nineveh had already been experiencing. God was already preparing their heart for the message, just like God is already preparing our hearts for the message For some of you coming in this morning, God has already been at work in your heart. He's already been stirring you. He's already been disrupting things. He's already been shaking things up. And hopefully he has your attention. And maybe today the message to you, like it was to Nineveh, is repent. Because if you don't, disaster is coming. He is a God of mercy and Yes, he's a God of grace, but every message is not rainbows and roses. Every message is not cupcakes and ice cream. There are some hard messages, and if you know you're in sin, the message is simple. Repent before judgment comes. But the story doesn't stop there, does it? It goes on to show us how repentance involves believing the word of God. Look at verses 5 and 6. And the people of Nineveh believed God. What a powerful statement. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. This is, this is like national repentance. This is like amazing. I don't, I don't know if you realize how amazing this is that not one person would repent but that the entire community would repent from the king to the people. And they did what the ancients did in order to communicate repentance. They took off their fine clothes. They took off their fine linen and they put on what was known as sackcloth, rather. And it, it was clothes that you would put on like mourning clothes. These were clothes you would put on to demonstrate sorrow of heart. And then they set in ashes these ashes of repentance to communicate that everything in their life had uh, broken down and burnt down, and that they they needed God's mercy to restore them. They communicated to God through their actions that they believed Him. This word "believe" it says here in verse number five again that they believe God is the same word ascribed to Abraham and. Genesis chapter 15, where it says that Abraham believed God when God told him that Sarah, his wife, would have a child, that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. The Ninevites believed God. And this should cause you and I to shout amen. Because if God will show mercy to this cruel and mean and evil and violent people, how much more will he show mercy to us? And maybe this is the problem of the text, because like all narratives, like all stories, it's begging me and you to find ourselves in it. And who do we identify with? Who do we identify with? Well, hopefully somewhere in the midst of this, you identify with these Ninevites, because as I've been describing them as cruel and mean and evil, God-aiding people, it's easy for us to wag our heads to point our fingers, but how many know that, but by the grace of God, there go I? How many know your own resume, your own sin, your own shortcomings? How many know that Nineveh is not just a place far, far away, but Nineveh's in me, and Nineveh's in you. But praise God when we recognize the Nineveh in me and the Nineveh in you and we turn to God in repentance, how many thank God that He responds to our repentance? repentance, again, is an action word. It requires us to not just give lip service. How many know the difference between real repentance and lip service? If you're a husband and you've been unfaithful to your wife, it's one thing for you to say, I'm sorry. It's another thing for you to say to her, I will do whatever it takes to win you back. If that means giving you my cell phone codes and the password to all of my accounts, I'll do that. If that means going to counseling, I'll do that. That means quitting this job and starting another, I'll do that. You see, true repentance doesn't negotiate. True repentance doesn't try to justify. True repentance doesn't try to blame shift. True repentance says, it's me, it's me, Lord, that's in the need of prayer. Father, forgive me. Hey, and by by the way, as an aside, just as a parenthetical statement, I'm just going to throw this in. Look at the power of a godly politician. For those of you who are called to political office, we do well to pay attention to verse number six and the response of the king. He's in authority, he's in governmental authority, but never forget that our governmental leaders lead us in two ways, not just through their policies, but through their personal character as well. And so here this king is, And he takes off his robe. What do you think that does for the people? He puts on sackcloth. He sits in ashes. He humbles himself. He says to them that that I'm not enough to rescue us from this. We need God to rescue us from this. But again, if God can change the heart of a Ninevite king, God can change the heart of the rulers of our day. If you find yourself in political office, lead the way this man led in humility and repentance and the people that you lead will be blessed. Sorry, story doesn't stop there. In verse number seven, it continues on. This king, it says, and he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let men and beasts be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Man, this king gave a severe fast. Think about how severe this fast is. Not only are they not eating, but not even their cattle is eating. Well, why would you do that? It's because Nineveh was a group of people that advanced and conquered territory because of the greed that was in their heart. It was a greed that was in their heart to cause them to pillage nations. It was a greed that was in their heart. To put it another way, they prioritized possessions over people. But this king got it. In a moment, he got it and he says, Listen, don't even feed your animals. It is better for us to lose our possessions so that we can be the type of people that God wants us to be than to hold on to our possessions and not be the people that God wants us to be. Scripture puts it this way. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his soul? And so the Ninevites call this fast, and it's, again, this pretty severe fast. No one is eating at all. Everyone is to abstain because maybe God will see our actions and respond Maybe God will show mercy. And what the message of the text is, is yes, he will. Yes, he will. That God is a merciful God who is the God of the second chance, and he is giving you an opportunity. If you are a runaway like Jonah, or if you're a hard-hearted person like the Ninevites, or if you're guilty of harming others, or prioritizing possessions over people, That God is merciful to you and to me and he will give us a second chance if we turn to him in repentance. And I praise God for verse number 10. It's in verse number 10 where we read God's response. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Now, the prophet is a human being, and so the only way human beings can write about God is in human terms. We're limited to human vocabulary. It's what theologians would call anthropomorphic language. It is when we ascribe to God human attributes in order to try to describe what is a mystery to us. This wasn't so much God relenting, it was God knowing. The God who knows the end from the beginning knew that when he his prophet preached the word that he was given from the spirit of God that the people would repent and God had already determined how he would respond when they repented and God knows, God knows that if we repent to the word of God today, if we would turn from sin and to his word, that he will show us mercy just like he showed the Ninevites mercy. Thank God for a gracious and a merciful God. There's one more point I want to make sure you draw your attention to, and it was that the king was not vague concerning their sins, was he? He didn't say, uh, "Hey, uh, if you think you may have done something that might have offended somebody, just take a few moments out of your day and ask for forgiveness." He didn't issue that general announcement, did he? He didn't say, "Hey, uh, if you if you uh, harm somebody in any type of way, just ask God for broad sweeping forgiveness." No, he was pretty specific. He said, repent of the violence that you have committed with your hands. He knew what the sins of his people were. He knew that he was a violent man. He knew that they were violent people because of his violent acts and attributes and role modeling. And so he knew specifically what he needed to repent of. Let's not be vague with God. Let's not play games when it comes to repentance. But let's turn to him and call out our own specific sin. Lord, forgive me of my pride, of my deception, of my lust, of my greed. Lord, forgive me of my sins. And if this text tells us anything, it's that the God of the second chance will respond to our repentance if we offer it to him. So today, my message to you is don't squander your second chance. You've been given that remote control. You've been given that opportunity to pick an alternate ending. Just like Jonah did. You see where it gets you when you rebel against God. Why not try obeying him and taste and see that the Lord is good. How many today are thankful for his mercy and for his grace, amen? I wanna invite you to stand with me as we pray before the God of heaven. If you're watching online, just simply type the word connect and we'll follow up with you. And as our worship team comes to dismiss us, in worship, let's pray. Father, we ask today for your mercy and for your grace, we ask the Lord that today you would forgive us of our sins. Restore us by your love. And and may Jonas come home today. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen.